the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. The cross is the culmination of Jesus' life. The cross is the reason he came. Everything that he's doing now as the Messiah, now he came into this world for the cross. It's all accomplished on the cross. It all culminates in the cross. It's all pointing to that's the hour that he's living for. That's the hour he's looking toward. Many of us would probably be just as lost as the disciples if we were to personally hear Jesus say, my hour has not yet come. This specific language, of course, speaks to the culmination of his life, death, and resurrection as God become man. As Pastor Dan will teach you in his message today, from the moment the Spirit ascended on Christ as a dove, he was fully committed to his calling. In his study, you'll gain a better understanding of the depth of the faithfulness and obedience of the Son. Now, here's Pastor Dan in the book of John chapter 2 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Jesus' presence at a wedding puts his stamp of approval on the institution of biblical marriage. Jesus honored and elevated marriage by attending this wedding. And and I I point that out because uh, there is a trend in our culture today, especially among younger people, the whippersnappers, there, there is a trend to not get married, to just move in together and live together. But Jesus ordains marriage. And living together, just living together unmarried, that is not God's will. It is not God's will. God does not bless that relationship. He's into, he's into weddings. He's not into that. He, he's into weddings. He honors the marriage relationship. And and I would say if you're here today and you're living with someone that you're not married to, I would say you need to get married as soon as possible. And by as soon as possible, I mean like the next couple weekends. Or you need to move out as soon as possible and honor God with that relationship, especially if you name the name of Christ, if you claim to be a Christian. Honor God with that relationship. He approves of marriage. In verse 3, it says, And when when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. 
So they ran out of wine. They miscalculated how much wine they needed for this wedding reception, and they ran out. And from the way that verse 3 reads, it seems like no one at the wedding reception is aware yet that they've run out of wine. They've just, maybe they just ran out of wine. Mary realizes it. Maybe she's helping to serve at this wedding. She realizes they just poured the last drop of wine. They're out of wine. And so she goes to Jesus and says, hey, they, they, they have no wine. And we read that and we might think, okay, well, they ran out of wine. That's unfortunate. That's maybe a little embarrassing, but everyone can just drink water now. It's no, no big deal. Well, it was a big deal. It's a huge deal in that culture. This, I mean, listen, this is potentially disastrous for the groom and for the bride. Uh, culturally at that time, you were expected to provide an overabundance of food and drink for your guests. Uh, way more than they could ever eat or drink. Uh, you see that in uh, when Jesus feeds the, the multitudes. He feeds the 5,000. It says he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. So maybe it's 10 or 15 or 20,000 people that he feeds. And it says they all ate until they were full. The word is glutted. They're stuffed. Everybody ate until they were stuffed. But then what does it say? And there were 12 baskets of food left over. Uh, there's the other feeding where he feeds the multitude, everybody eats and is stuffed, and there's seven large baskets of food left over. There's an overabundance of food. That's the culture. You, you, you overfeed them. You give them way more than they could ever eat. You go to the Middle East today. You go to Israel today. They give you an absurdly ridiculous amount of food when you go into a restaurant to eat there, more than you could ever eat. Uh, when we were there last time, uh, we went. We were on the Golan Heights, uh, and we went into a little restaurant that wasn't expecting us. We just stopped there, and our tour guide arranged for us to have lunch there with the owner. When we sat down, they put 16 different foods on the table. And when you would finish a plate of food, they'd, they'd refill it. They'd bring out another one. 16. I know because I count it. 16 plates in front of us on the table. And they just kept bringing it out until we stopped Eating. That's the culture. It's an overabundance. And here, they run out of wine. And to run out of food or drink, especially at a wedding feast, a wedding celebration, uh, that would be a disgrace to the family and that culture. In fact, the families of the groom and the bride would carry a social stigma of shame for the rest of their lives. It would even carry over to their children where you don't want to marry their kids because they're, they're not going to be able to provide at the wedding celebration, and you're going you're gonna to be embarrassed if you marry into that, that family. Uh, it was such a big deal. Listen to this. It was such a big deal that the groom and the bride could be sued by the guests for not providing enough wine to drink. They could be sued. I mean, that's how... That's how big of a deal this is that now they've run out of wine. So here you have this joyous occasion. It's a wedding. This bride and this groom, they're married. It's the celebration. It's the reception. And this joyous occasion is about to become a disaster for the groom and bride, a disaster that could impact the rest of their lives as husband and wife. And so Mary went to Jesus and says, they just ran out of wine. This is an emergency. This is a crisis. 
As she goes to Jesus now, back in chapter 1, Jesus began his public ministry as the Messiah. He was baptized by John. He's called disciples to himself. But at this point, he has not done any miracles. He hasn't preached any sermons or anything like that. Uh, So he doesn't have like a big following at this point. But Mary knows who he is, right? And the Holy Spirit appeared to Mary, you know, or the angel appeared to, to Mary and told her that, she would conceive a child of the Holy Spirit in her womb and give birth, and he would be the Messiah. So Mary knows that her son, Jesus, is the Messiah. And, and it seems that when she says to him, they have no wine, she's saying, you know, Jesus, this is a great opportunity for you to show everybody that you're the Messiah. This would be the perfect time to reveal to everyone here who you are and do something about the situation and rescue this couple from a lifetime of embarrassment. And look at Jesus's answer in verse four. He says, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, when Jesus calls his mother woman here, it's not a disrespectful term. He's not saying like woman, Get off my back, you know, leave me alone. (laughs) It's actually, it's a term of respect. Uh, He uses the same term in chapter 19, verse 26, when he's on the cross and Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by. And he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Right? So it's a respectful term. It's not a a disrespectful term. He's, he's not rebuking his mother here. She does, Mary does not take it as a rebuke. And when Jesus says here, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. What, what Jesus is saying here essentially is that he is no longer under Mary's authority. That the nature of his relationship with his mother has now changed. Where he's no longer under her authority. Now that his public ministry as Messiah has begun, there's a separation here that takes place. He's no longer under her authority. If you turn with me back to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, uh, this is when Jesus is 12 years old and Joseph and Mary take Jesus up to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. They're there for the feast of Passover. It's time to leave. Uh, they start to head towards home back to the Galilee. They would travel in large caravans with family and friends from their community. And Joseph and Mary assume that Jesus is just somewhere in the group, traveling back to Galilee, hanging out with his friends, traveling in the group, until they get to the end of the first day, and they realize that Jesus isn't with them. And they've lost Jesus, right? It's a big deal. You've you've lost the Savior of the world. You've got one job, to raise the Savior of the world, and you lost him. Uh, So now they've got to backtrack and they go back to Jerusalem and they find Jesus. He's only 12. They found him. Verse 46 says they found him in the temple. He's sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And so when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, listen to this. This Doesn't this sound like a mom? Son. Why have you done this to us? (laughs) You've heard your mom say that, right? Look, 
Your father and I have sought you anxiously. Your dad and I have been worried sick, right? And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? This is, this is foreshadowing things to come. There's going to be a day when he's about his father's business. We'll return to Pastor Dan's message in just a moment. First, Pastor Dan would like to tell you about the new Calvary Chapel Ellicott City app. We recently launched an app for our church and we're really excited about it. It's designed to keep you connected to our radio ministry, Ring of Truth, as well as to our church, Calvary Chapel. And get this, we have over 1,200 sermons on the app. The app is super convenient, it's easy to use, and allows you to listen to Bible studies anytime, anywhere. So download the app right now, search for Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in your app store, or just follow the links on our website at calvaryec.com. What a great way to stay connected to Scripture. Now, back to today's message on Ring of Truth. So it says in verse 50, but they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Look at verse 51. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Verse 51 says that Jesus was subject to his parents. He obeyed his parents. But there's coming a day when he's going to be about his father's business. John chapter 2 is that day. Where now he's about his father's business. And he says to Mary, hey, what does your concern have to do with me My hour has not yet come. Once he began his public ministry as as the Messiah, from that point, he obeyed his heavenly father. He was about his father's business. And he was no longer subjected to Mary, uh, his parents. Now he, he just he does the will of his heavenly father. So this is the point here in John two now where he separates from out from under his mother's authority. And again, he says, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. That's your concern. But my concern is my hour that is to come. A child that is under the authority of his or her parents, uh, his parents' concern is his concern, right? But now he says, that's your concern. My concern is my hour that is to come. And this is the first time that he, he mentions his hour that is to come. But this is something that we see developed all the way through the gospel of John. This hour that will come for Jesus. And I want to just show you, uh, if you want to turn with me over to John chapter 7. We'll look at some verses together just quickly. John chapter 7, verse 6. Here, Jesus says, my time has not yet come, or my hour has not yet come. In verse 30, therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Over in chapter 8, verse 20, these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. In chapter 12, verse 23, 
chapter 12, verse 23. But Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified. So now the hour comes. Uh, Verse 27, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Uh, Finally, chapter 17, verse 1. Chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. The hour that Jesus is speaking of in the gospel of John is the hour of his crucifixion. That's the hour that is to come for Jesus when Jesus will die on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus now from John chapter two, now that he's begun his public ministry, he now lives on the timetable of the cross. He now lives for the hour of his crucifixion. The cross was not some sad accident that cut short a life that had potential. The cross is the culmination of Jesus's life. The cross is the reason he came. Everything that he's doing now as as the Messiah, now he, he came into this world for the cross. It's all accomplished on the cross. It's all culminates in the cross. It's all pointing to that's the hour that he's living for. That's the hour he's looking toward. So going back to John chapter two, verse five, his mother, Mary said to the servants that are serving there at this house, at the celebration, she said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, these are the last recorded words of Mary and the Bible. And Mary gives some really great advice here. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. That's good advice. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. Now, there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Now, the the, the Jews had this... uh, this ritual ceremony for washing their hands before eating food. It's not based on the Bible. It's not scriptural. It's just a man-made ritual that they came up with. Uh, it's, It's referred to in Mark chapter 7. You don't have to turn there necessarily, but you can jot it down. Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 1 to 5, the Pharisees and the scribes, they came to Jesus and they asked Jesus why his disciples eat food with unwashed hands, that they don't follow the ceremony. They don't do this ritual hand washing before eating a meal. And so uh, that's what these water pots are for. These water pots of stone, they, they have six of them there in this house. They're large water pots between 20 and 30 gallons apiece. And they're there so people could do this ceremonial hand washing. Now, These are really large water pots, uh, and they're made of stone. uh, So these would be pretty expensive water pots. Uh, So this this tells us that the family that is hosting this wedding celebration, they're probably pretty well off if they've got these six large water pots made of stone in their house. Plus they've got servants, which is an indication that they're probably pretty well off. 
And this wedding reception is probably a large reception uh, because he's going to turn these six large water pots to wine. Uh, it's about 150, 180 gallons. And just to put that into some terms that maybe you can grasp a little bit better, that's about 800 bottles of wine that he's going to create. So this is probably a large reception of people there. You know, uh, last time when, when we were in Israel, our tour guide, Andre, he is an Arab, and we were talking about this story on the bus, and he was talking about their Arab culture. And their culture, when you have, you have the wedding ceremony that, like, the family attends, and then you have the reception that anyone can attend. Uh, and they, you just bring money to pay for your portion of the, of the reception, your meal, and anyone can attend. And he said it's not uncommon for a, a reception to have over 1,000 people there. Most of the people don't know the bride and the groom, have never met the bride and the groom, but they just went, and they were invited to go. And so in, in their culture, uh, again, you, you see a similar picture there where you can see how they might run out of wine. How do you estimate how many people are going to show up and give the caterer a head count, how much food and drink you might need? And so you could see how they possibly could run out if they've got a lot of people there. And so it seems like it's a pretty big reception here based on the amount of wine that Jesus is going to make. Uh, so verse 7, now pay attention to verse 7. Jesus said to the servants, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Not halfway. They're not half-hearted servants. They filled it to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. This guy's kind of in charge of the, the catering here. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine... And did not know where it came from. But notice the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. Now, normally they would serve the good wine, the expensive wine at the beginning of the celebration. And then after everyone's had a few glasses, right, and they're a little bit pickled, uh, they'd start serving the cheap stuff, right? Because nobody can tell the difference at that point. And what the, what the uh, master of the feast says is, you have kept the good wine until now. The later wine that they served later in the celebration was better than the wine they served at the beginning of the celebration. And the wine they served at the beginning of the celebration was good wine. And now they're serving great wine. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. The book of 1 John invites followers of Jesus into a consistently growing relationship with our Heavenly Father. The Christian walk isn't meant to stagnate, no matter how long you've been pursuing your relationship. There's always more to discover about your Almighty Creator and more ways in which He can refine your heart. As you've done already today by joining Pastor Dan for Ring of Truth, we encourage you to continue spending time in the Word regularly. We also urge you to make conversation with God a regular part of your routine as well, praying and listening to what your Heavenly Father wants to say to you. And know that here at Ring of Truth, we're also praying for you. We're so glad you joined us today, and we'd like to invite you to visit us here at Calvary Chapel. 
If you live in the Baltimore, Washington area, come worship with us this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. For more information on what you can expect when you visit, go to calvaryec.com. Or give us a call. We can be reached at 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. That's all for today. Join us next time for more right here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize them.